Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan. And here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Time for today's parenting. Shake it all about, dance and let it out, get together and have some fun. Wiggle and jump, put your hands in the air, now reach up for the sun. Shake it all about, dance and let it out, get together and have some fun. We're your very best friends, we love to jump and climb. We get the play for mostly everything all the time. If we're bricks or if it's broken, it was probably me or you. Nothing like a good friend, Avril McDonald's. Our guest, how to help small children process big feelings and develop empathy to help prevent bullying. In a week where an education review office survey showed nearly half of primary school children and a third of teenagers have been targeted by bullies, our guest is the New Zealand-born teacher turned author and internationally uh, well-received I Feel Brave series author. Avril MacDonald writes little stories about big feelings for four- to seven-year-olds and has devised a couple of programs to help primary school children deal with difficult emotions like anxiety, one which is currently being used in 100 schools in New Zealand, and another online version is currently being piloted, which Avril launched in Christchurch recently. She has a range of tools in her arsenal, including books, videos, workshops, and that song, Nothing Like a Good Friend, which encourages children to become more empathetic. There's a video of it on our webpage. Uh, Avril's with us from Sydney. Hello, Avril. Good morning. So you're not a psychologist, but you're bringing a dose of psychology to your work in some ways. Tell us a little more about your background as an educator. Well, I trained as a teacher in my early days, and then I I loved teaching, but um, I went off and travelled the world and uh, got into the business world and digital entertainment and became a mum. And I always um, enjoyed creating things. I wanted to actually be a musician. And um, so I've always written. And then when my daughter had her first nightmare, I had suffered from anxiety and still do as a child and and as an adult, I still do. And when she had her first nightmare, I had learned lots of strategies from my own anxiety to then help her. And I suddenly thought, oh, wow, maybe parents would like this. And maybe this is a really nice channel for me to be able to uh, create music and write, and and that's how it all came about. How old was she when when it happened for the first time? Had the bad dream and started it all. She was about two. It was just when children start having their first nightmares, and then yeah. as a parent, you think, God, oh, what do I do with do nightmares? I do? You know? <laughs> <You> <laughs> they don't think. come with an instruction booklet. You have all the instructions around the physical. Yeah, you know, you go to the doctor for this, and you do this for that. But then the nightmare stuff is is quite perplexing for some. But for me, it was super easy because. 
I manage my anxiety with a really simple technique called reframing. It's a cognitive behavioral therapy technique where you just tell yourself a different story or you reframe it. So I asked her to tell me about her nightmare because it it is very real for them. As you know, when you have a bad dream, you can wake up and carry it for a few hours. And she told me the story and then I, I retold the story back to her and changed it. And she loved it so much, she made me tell it to her for about two weeks every night. And then her bad dream never came back. And I always start my shows in schools with that story. And uh, and they love it and they get it. And it's a very simple technique. How do you how do you do, give us an example? So take the story, I don't know what the story was, but what aspects did you change to make it less scary or to perhaps empower the person who was feeling terrified by what she'd experienced? So her dream was about a big monster monkey that had jumped on her back and um, it just terrified her. So I made up a new story about how she was walking through the forest one day and she felt something jump on her back and she brushed it off and it fell to the floor and she picked it up and it was a tiny little monkey with big, huge, cute eyes looking back at her and it said, will you play with me? No one will play with me. I've got no friends. And she just loved that story. She was quite enchanted by it. And because the monkey was then small... Um, it, it, it wasn't scary anymore. And when I work with children in classrooms on this, we brainstorm about what we can do to things that are scary. So the idea is just make it as ridiculous as you can or as funny. So we talk about throwing green slime over it or giving it a funny face or a funny little high voice because then it's not scary anymore. And they laugh and it just switches your brain. It's a really clever trick. It's a bit like that job interview technique that you imagine whoever's asking the questions naked and it's supposed to help you. I don't know what it would do for me actually I've just just looked through the window and seen Mike and and now it's all going haywire Um, but that's that is a clever thing because to say don't think about it or forget about it's a bit like saying don't think about elephants but this technique and accepts the fact that you will think about the thing that you're thinking about because it's because there's a reason you keep thinking about it but enables you just to change some elements to make it a bit less frightening or to um, make it even friendly or happy yeah, exactly. It switches it up and it gives you the power. So it really empowers children that they, what what I call, they have their magical mind and they can use it for different things and it's really effective. And a lot of these tricks with emotional well-being and, and um, helping with self-regulation are very simple, but not many people know how to, how to find the simple ones or um, what to do with them to make them practically applicable. And that's what I do with my work. So what happened after that? Did it become books? Yes, I wrote some poems. I started with poetry and then I I worked really hard. I started this nine years ago, so it's never an overnight thing, that's for sure. And I've had to walk my talk a lot with lots of no's and having to have a lot of grit and resilience. But it started with, I finally got a publishing deal. I wrote one my book, my first book that got published, which was about the third book that I'd written because it takes a lot of practice to get that book right. And then my publishers in the UK said, actually, why don't you write a series? So can you write five in eight months? Which after I'd written the first one, then I, I knew the pattern. I knew the, the meter I was writing and I got a good poetry coach and I learned as I went and I created five books plus a teaching guide. So the teaching guide is just broken up into chapters and each chapter has uh, really like a, a treasure chest of um, or toolbox of exercises around each of the books and the this, this topics they cover. This is the I Feel Brave series or Feel Brave series. Yeah, it's called the Feel Brave series of books. So there's five books, the teaching guide, and then I recently published another book 
uh, just last August called The Perfect Pause, and that's two poems. One of them is a gratitude poem. It's an exercise that helps children get in a really powerful, positive state of mind very quickly. They think of all the people they love and the things they love, and they stir them around and drink them up like a hot chocolate. And there's also a stretching poem, which is uh, all based around nature. So the children hear it once, and then they just know it, and they get it, and then you can do that three times. So they're just little daily doses to help us with our emotional well-being because if we can do one dose a day much like brushing your teeth you're actually building up the muscles to then help you when you need to self-regulate your emotions and or or just to understand about how our brains work that there's a cheeky monkey and there's a wise owl so it's sort of introducing concepts to really start emotional intelligence in children what is particular about this age four to seven? It is very emotional. We think of younger children's emotions as just being immediately experienced and presented to the world quite often. Um, but at four to seven, they're getting more complex relationships, particularly beyond their primary carer relationship. And they're probably experiencing some very strong emotions uh, even for the first time. I don't know about you, but I had an enormous crush when I was five. I mean, I was madly in love <laughs> as a five-year-old. Poor little Stephen Wills. I've mentioned him before, the poor guy, wherever <laughs> he is. Um, and and it was, you know, it was completely innocent, of course, but it was very, very intensive. So is this an age where a wider gamut of emotions are being experienced for the first time? Yeah, I think well, they're actually literally wiring up during that time. They wire up even earlier than that. And like I say, I'm not a psychologist um, or a neuroscientist, but I, I do a lot of work in this area, so I learn as I go. And what I do know is that in the first few years of life, our brains are just madly wiring up with things called snapsies. And they're like um, like plants. If you prune them, they 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 go away. So um, as long as we can encourage them, they're connecting all the time. So when a child jumps and falls in a puddle and they constantly, you, you'll know if you've got children, they'll talk about, I fell in the puddle, didn't I? Yes, you fell in the puddle. I fell in the puddle. Oh, when I fell in the puddle. And what they're doing is they're, they're building their snapsies around empathy. So if you say, yes, you fell in the puddle and it hurt, didn't it? And then they'll say, yeah, I've got a sore knee from the puddle and it drives us nuts. But that's how they're actually learning empathy and learning all these new things. But yeah, between four and seven, they're just wiring up, they're sponges, and it's just the most important time to be giving them these techniques that they can then keep for life. It's also a big time of socialisation because uh, most children will be in some kind of organised uh, preschool and then and then obviously the first years of primary school in, in that age group. Tell me about some of the wellbeing workshops and what they focus on. Well, so I, I started with the books, then I started doing school visits, like author visits, but my visits are literally wellbeing workshops. And what I do is I tell stories and in between the stories, because each story has a strategy, I always say my work is like Peppa Pig meets Tony Robbins for kids. They're strategies that can be that get easily expressed to children. They get them quickly and then they can practically apply them. So I go in and I do the stories. I tell the stories. I have a big screen with the pictures and I tell them. I, I know them off by heart. So I, I, I really tell the stories to the children. And then we talk afterwards about the strategy in their, in their language and we brainstorm ideas about how to use that or how they use them already. And then we do uh, little games and things that are all around well-being. So these workshops have been really successful. And um, I the vision of Feel Brave is to give all children access to tools that help them manage tough emotions and feel brave. So what I've done is I created a, a free well-being program for schools to make it easy for teachers. And what they do is there's, there's 32 videos currently on my Feel Brave website where 
at a minimum, a teacher can just go and press play and the children can either see me telling a story or they can see me doing a little gratitude exercise. So these workshops, uh, I'm trying to scale them up through video and get them all around the world. And they're three basics, aren't they? Self-confidence, resilience and response or um, actual ability or, or, or agency. The self-confidence one is, is interesting. Um, it's so important for children in particular to believe they're learners and to believe they're capable of learning. But what else would you factor into a healthy level of self-confidence for a child this age? Uh, yeah, I think they need to, to like themselves and have good friends. And, and, and actually everything, all of those topics are intertwined into all of the work. Some of the books focus on one key sort of thing, but self-confidence just wraps up everything. That sense of belonging is so important. It's kind of where everything, self-confidence is your foundation then of how you cope with life. And the more self-confident we are and the more we um, understand our bodies and how they work, the more we can understand why we do the things we do and how to self-regulate our emotions. The resilience is the word, the word in education these days. To you, what does it mean and how do you develop it? Uh, resilience to me is being able to um, get up again, to to learn how to, to cope and have coping strategies. And I think what I tell a lot of parents and teachers is just the importance of giving children as much uh, opportunity to safely fall whilst in their care. So because in, in New Zealand, when I was there doing a book tour a couple of years ago, teachers were saying, gosh, we have so much, so many problems with anxiety. And I said, well, why do you think that is? And um, they said that they feel as though a lot of parents aren't sort of giving the children enough space to build their resilience. And so they're very anxious. And I know as a parent myself, it's very easy to do that. You want to just, they're your hearts on legs. They're out there in the world and you want to protect them. But actually... We don't do them any favours if we're not really giving them, coaching them at home and giving them the chance to go out into the world and and build their own resilience. It's and, hugely important. And response? A response. Well, we, I call it responsibility, which is self-regulation. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's... Um, it's, it's how we respond to feelings inside of us. So if suddenly we're having a panic attack, we know, ah, oh, that's my cheeky monkey. My wise owl has recognized that, okay, I know what's happening here. So what do I need to do to calm down? Oh, I practice breathing every day. So I'm going to pull, I'm going to draw on that now and use that. Or, you know, I understand what's happening here because I understand how my brain works. And we can teach children as young as two or three about their brains just by simply saying, was that your cheeky monkey that did that? What would your wise owl say? And then as they get older, we can start talking about their downstairs brain and their upstairs brain, you know, their lizard brain and their their um, the, the front office of their brain that, that helps them cope with things. Feeling emotions is one thing. Understanding them and recognising them and uh, sitting with them. Uh, which is an interesting thing. We so often want to move on from an emotion rather than sitting with it. What are the ones you discuss that are relevant to children and how do you discuss them? So we talk about being left out in my first book, which is The Wolf Is Not Invited. And the strategy there is go and make your own fun. So that's very much about building self-confidence and just getting comfortable being on your own. I think as parents, we worry if our kids are on their own. But uh, that book encourages children to think about, well, what do you like doing just on your own? So if you are left out, what can you do by yourself that makes you happy? And then we they, they tell me things that they like to do like that. And then they understand that when they're happily playing by themselves, they'll probably meet a new friend. So there's, you know, being left out 
In The Wolf and the Shadow Monster, that's about anxiety, what scares us. And then we talk about how we can shrink it into something small and cute or we can use our magical minds. In change, the, there's a book about change, loss and grief. And I think grief is t very much um, still brushed under the carpet in many cultures because people are so scared of talking about it because they're, they're worried they don't have the answers. And the message there is we don't have to have the answers. We just have to have the conversations. We have to let children talk. And um, it's scary for adults when we don't have the answers. But in in the the, the Grand Wolf, it's very much about um, talking and that it's okay to cry. And then in the Baby Dragon, we talk about worries and how to share our worries. And also in that book is a, a calming down exercise, which is the, the gratitude exercise, just how to calm our busy minds. And then the Wolf's Colourful Code is about kindness. It's a bullying situation and it encourages taking a different perspective and that things might not be as they seem when someone's mean to us and what to do and how to build empathy. How, how do you talk about bullying? Because we've talked a lot about self-regulation and we've talked a lot about self-talk with what a child is feeling, but when that gets translated into behaviour towards another, we, we, another uh, we know how difficult that can be. So how do you uh, approach the issue of, of bullying? Well, in the colourful coat, um, we talk about why the, the 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 dog was mean to Wolfgang about his coat, and then they remember that in the book it says some of us that have been hurt by someone might think that to hurt are the way things are done, and some are unkind and make others feel bad when they simply don't know what it's like to feel sad. So in there, there's two pieces. Sometimes people are mean because they they think that's the way it's done. Maybe it's been done to them. And then the other side is maybe they just have, don't have enough empathy yet. They don't know uh, what it's like to feel sad. So we talk about those two elements of um, reasons why we might be um, bullied by someone else or hurt. And that the importance of um, what they need is more love. So the best thing to do is be kind, brave and strong. Most of all, just be you. Tell someone you trust that you're feeling this way. Likewise, Al, who's clever, knows what to say. So it's talking about it with someone and, and it's having a different perspective looking at it differently. It's a big ask for a child, though, who's hurting, who's being bullied. Um, it's, almost, it's, it's almost what you would expect an adult to do, to understand what is happening, and I can see how it might help. But is it enough, really? What other sort of, um, what other sort of practical skills are, are they needing? Well, I think it's a good start. You know, um, we're all so different. We're all made up differently and we all go along at different paces. So for some kids, they'll get it straight away. For others, it's just the start of hopefully techniques and understandings that will then be practiced because you can't just teach empathy. You have to practice it all the time. And that's why I go back to that daily dose of emotional well-being and how important that is. So with bullying, a really good thing that I've done with my own children is taking, um, doing role play with them. So I'll pretend I'm my child and they love it when you do that because they're quite cap um, captivated by you being them. And then you say to them, now you say to me what that person said to you. And then you try out different ways of of uh, approaching it or dealing with it. And then they're, they're in a lovely safe environment where they're practicing different methods of how they'd like to to deal with that so the role modeling and the um, role playing is really important or just taking a helicopter view and saying let's go up in a helicopter now and look at this situation and it might not even be their situation it might be a situation where someone's been hurt and you try and 
encourage them to look at, well, why do you think he felt that way? Or we can do that with little dolls or puppets too, and just give them different perspectives to, to move around. And I think if a, a very wise teacher once told me when I asked her, well, what do you do? What's the best thing to do with a child that's been mean to another? And she suggested, which I love, is to get them both involved in a, in a project, like a gardening project. You know, socialization is really important for building empathy. When we mix with other people who aren't like us we can find commonality and then we we can you know that all helps to build the empathy but empathy plays a vital role in preventing bullying so it's essential to really practice it every day and a lot of teachers don't know how to do that and that's why I've curated a load of ideas to help with that. The idea of sitting with emotions is that something that we get wrong and that needs to start very early on we so often want to move away from them quickly find a balm for them somehow but is it ever too young to realise that sometimes you just feel ick, you know, sad or, or whatever, and it's okay to it's it's okay and it will pass. Oh my gosh, yes, and I can't I can't stress this enough in in children to teach them emotional literacy. So that's a lot of the stuff I do too. I play a game with them. They they uh, there's a feeling on the wall and the one of one of the child doesn't know what it is and the rest of them have to make the face and we try and guess what they're feeling but yeah definitely to sit with it and and particularly for adults and I think that's one thing that again I want to stress because I've noticed it so much with myself is that if we as parents do our own shadow work which is starting to look at our own shadows, what, what triggers us, and actually doing our own inner work, it has an amazing impact on our relationships with our children and on our children's behaviour. Our children are just complete mirrors of us and they they will scream back at you what your shadows are. And most of the time as adults, we go through life kind of ignoring our shadows. We want to put them aside. They're the parts of us that are triggered or that um, primitive and we don't like. But if we can become conscious of our own shadows and bring the light into them, then they we can incorporate them as part of who we are and understand them. So I think there's a lot of work that parents can be doing. And I think that's missed at the moment because our generation of parents too, my generation, we're massive bridges uh, across different things. So we are the bridge of technology coming in. We're, we're bridging this new rise of the feminine. We're in an amazing time in history. And this is really impacting us. But I, I think, you know, you can get lots of parenting books. You can get lots of new well-being programs in a school uh, you know that come in a big manual but if you if you as a parent start doing your own inner work I think that um, I've seen myself with my own children just how much that can transform their behaviors their fears their anxieties it all starts with us so yeah if we can learn to get to know our shadows and sit with them it's pretty revolutionary, I've found. Thank you, Avril McDonald. If you want to know more about the resources she has developed for parents of four to seven-year-olds, you can find the link on our webpage, rnz.co.nz forward slash nine to noon. Don't forget that you can listen back to our parenting. Uh, you can subscribe to it on the podcast series and podcast page on RNZ. It's called It Takes a Village. There's other parenting material there too. Uh, Katie Gossett's. Um, are we there yet? And don't forget, just relaunched them with an absolute treasure chest of stories that children can find for themselves. It's got a very friendly search design. You can go to storytime.rnz.co.nz. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. 
And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com slash covered.